Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome into episode 58 of the Natural Hattrick podcast, November 9th, 2016. Everything's still fine. <laughs> Alongside uh, Craig Morgan. No Jamie Eisner today, but uh, he, he will be back next week. I'm Luke Lipinski. Craig, how you doing over there? I, uh, I'm great. Okay. Uh, you know, we just Nothing. appointed a new Supreme Leader of the Banana Republic of the United States. And it's all good. It's all, <laughs> all going to be fine. Hey, all right. It's all going to be fine. So Craig's doing well. Nothing to worry about. No. Nothing to see here. You don't seem concerned. Not at all. At all. I'm, I'm so good. So uh, the, uh, well, where can we start here? Jacob Truba is a proud member of the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, a proud member, I think, is safe to say. You know what, Craig? I don't, I don't even know what to believe anymore. Did Jacob Truba not a couple weeks ago, either he or his agent, essentially say that he wants out of Winnipeg? Now he gets a two-year, very cheap bridge deal, and he loves it there. Yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. And yes, we heard all of that. It's always difficult to know how much of that is posturing, and and when you add the the element of history with Kurt Overhart, his agent, and here in Arizona we know it well with the Kyle Torres saga. Uh, yeah, you wonder, okay, is this a little different than most posturing that we see? But in the end, they bring Truva back on a, a very good deal. All indications are now that he wants to play here. The Jets aren't going to trade him. That's that's what other people around the league have been saying for a while. Other other executives are saying, hey, I really don't think that they're going to move this guy. I, I just think this is all part of the process, and he's going to eventually resign. You know, it, the, the thing that's interesting to me, Luke, is there's this there's this thread out there now that, oh, it's it makes it, makes it so much easier to trade him now. I've talked to some executives who say, yeah, I actually think the opposite, and I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah. I, I think he's playing in Winnipeg, and if he moves to the other side, you know, maybe something that they have to do. We'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. But this is a piece that they need, and at this price, why the heck would you move him now? I know you're going to have to be in this boat again in two years. You didn't get the long-term deal you wanted as the Jets, but why the heck would you move this piece right now? Why not just cross that bridge when you come well, to it? Well, I, I think you're right, first of all, and he's saying the right things. I, look, I understand the narrative of if he really wanted out, the only real way for them to trade him and get decent value back is for them to go to him and say, sign a cheap deal with us, in theory, that makes it easier for us to move you, and then talk about how much you like it here so you don't kill all our leverage. Because we can't trade you if you're going to sit here and badmouth the organization. He didn't badmouth the organization, but he, I mean, he, he made it quite clear he didn't want to be there. So I, I understand that sort of Well, that's an awful logic. lot of conspiracy you're spinning over there. Well, like a rigged, rigged election or something. Well, I, I mean, you know, I'm just throwing stuff out there and okay. seeing if it sticks. Okay. Uh, and sometimes it does, apparently, in a big way. But it, with, with Truba now, and he's signed, and it's, it's so... It's, for that amount of money per year, essentially $3 million per year, 
I would think Winnipeg's asking price, if anything, is going up now because now it's a signed player for a cheap deal for the next two years. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the, the price wasn't cheap to begin with. If, no. If there truly was a price now, someone had come to them with a deal that just knocked their socks off, of course they would have listened to that. But I don't think there was everything, any, anything really solid that Winnipeg was considering in terms of a trade in this deal. No, I, I don't think so either. I think maybe they were just... And, and look, if, if they were willing to take just some sort of ridiculous offer, I'm sure they still are right now. I mean, how many players in this league are really untouchable if you come at them with... If Detroit really had said, like, yeah, we'll give you Dylan Larkin for Jacob Truba, then I think Jacob Truba would be on Detroit. But at the time, it just seemed like sort of a crazy asking price. And, you know, it, whatever it is, Winnipeg is better now because they have signed Jacob Truba. There's no, there's no way around that. No doubt. Absolutely. And they need him. They need him. They need this piece. It was obvious early in the season that they needed this piece on their roster. So you, you play this out for a while. Hey, maybe maybe we get down the road in the season and, and they think, okay, maybe – we do want to move this piece after all, but I, I just I don't I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening, and I also wonder now because Jacob Truba is in the fold, how much more attention gets redirected back onto Kevin Shattenkirk, who we know the Blues can't lose after the season for nothing. You can't let no. a, an asset like that walk away. Now Doug Armstrong, their GM, has said, you know, we might just let this play out. You know, we we think we're contenders. We could go for it, win the cup. Okay, you win the cup. That's great. Then. If, if you get to that, okay, you know what? It was worth it then if you win a cup and you have to watch Kevin Shattenkirk walk away for nothing. But short of that, it's not going to look for, good for the Blues if they let him walk away no, for nothing. Because so you take you a major believe hit. a lot of teams are coming after him. Oh, yeah. And now his, I mean, it's just supply and demand. I mean, yes, there's not exactly. a whole, there already wasn't a lot of defensemen out there in, that can play that role. Right-handed top four defensemen? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. that's specific of a, of a need that, 90% of the teams in the league have. And by the way, Kevin Shattenkirk has been lighting it up this yes, year. He he's has. seen his numbers. So he's, uh, he's making himself only that much more valuable. It, for, for Winnipeg, Winnipeg right now is in the middle of the Central Division. I know we, we talked about this either last week or the week before. They couldn't afford, even though they had the leverage with him being a restricted free agent, they couldn't afford to play around for a whole season because in the Central Division – Every game that you're not at your best makes it that much more likely you miss the playoffs. If you want to transition up front, though, it oh, helps. There's that segue again. <laughs> See, seamless. It helps when you, uh, when you get to bump up from the sixth pick to taking Patrick Laine, who's averaging just under a goal per game, and we're 14 games into the season. He leads the NHL in goals. <sighs> Luke Lipinski, man crush. Go ahead. Well, I, I know I talked about this on the show last week, how – Everybody is focused on McDavid and Matthews, and rightly so. I said this to you on the ride over. I think McDavid, I don't think he's Crosby. We can get into that in a moment, too. But I think he's the next generation's equivalent of Sidney Crosby. I think he's that good all around. I think around. that's fair. And I think Patrick Laine, and this is not because he had a hat trick last night or because he had a hat trick two weeks ago. This is what the scouts were saying, and this is how he looked in the World Juniors, and this is how he's looked now for Winnipeg in his first 14 career games. I think he has the potential to be the equivalent of this generation's Ovechkin. And it just gets lost in the shuffle that Winnipeg did not have the second-worst record in the NHL last year, and they were essentially gifted Patrick Laine. This is eating at you, isn't it? I think if I was, if I was an angry Coyotes fan, this would bother <laughs> me more than, than not getting Austin Matthews because— oh. Shots fired. Well, okay. this this is why. Okay. Not not I'm saying not saying Line is better than Matthews. I'm saying that Toronto had the worst record last year. The Coyotes did not. So, in theory, the team with the worst record is supposed to be the worst team. They're supposed to get the the best player. So Toronto did that. 
But Winnipeg had the exact same record as the Coyotes, and they got Patrick Laine. And I know the Coyotes are happy with Clayton Keller, and I know they're happy with Jacob Chikrin, but they still would have had Jacob Chikrin. So that doesn't factor into this year. That was a later first-round pick. And Clayton Keller is, is playing at Boston University right now, which is fine. That's part of his development. That's what they expected. I think Patrick Laine, I, I, I already did believe the scouting reports. Now I believe them that much more. I think he is going to be routinely a 35 to 40 goal scorer in this league. Oh, that's the case. That's, I mean, that's, that's saying a lot. And if you're talking immediacy, he's, he's contributing right now. So that would be nice to have on a team that, that could certainly use a little bit more push. They're, 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 they're playing better hockey right now, obviously. But yeah, it would have been nice to have another piece that you could plug in to provide some more offense. And so far, so good. A long season to go here. Rookie wall, all the stuff, all the usual qualifiers apply, but so far, pretty spectacular start. Well, and I mean, I guess really the teams that should be the most upset were the teams like Vancouver last year that were... Oh, they have so much to be upset about. Oh, no, that's the fan base, sorry. <laughs> that's, well, they always are upset. Uh, but that, I mean, that's the team that should have been picking there, essentially, right? Vancouver and Columbus, they were the two teams that should have been fighting for the right to draft Patrick Laine. And, and instead, Vancouver is... Uh, well, they, they're on a one-game winning streak That's right true. now. That's true. They broke the streak. It's, you know, we should have done this a day earlier. We, we really we thought about it. When we talked about it, they were on a nine-game losing streak. I, I tell you what, you know, I, I bring up the Coyotes because we're here in Arizona. Vancouver needed Patrick Laine more than anybody else in that draft. A goal-scoring winger? The Coyotes at least have a wave of young talent coming up. Vancouver doesn't really have it right now. That's the team that should be the most upset. And as I'm looking at the standings from last year, I guess he really should have gone, should have, to Edmonton, but I think they lost their right uh, to that when they won nine drafts in a row. They're my bet on getting the number one pick this year, though. (laughs) Another Canadian team getting the number one pick. Vancouver? Yeah. Okay, I thought you were talking about Edmonton. Well, that's that's always a possibility. Yeah. They always have extra. I won't say. So, uh, (laughs) conspiracy theory, Craig. No, no, no. There's no no such thing. No. It's not rigged. No. Nothing's rigged. Well, So, uh, Vancouver, a team that we have talked about quite a bit on the show this season. I know that uh, there are certainly people out there who believe that team is better than basically everybody projected them to be this year. They started with four straight wins. They've lost nine in a row. I think that before lost nine in a row is, yes. is uh, yeah, before yesterday, right? I think that's the norm with this team. I do, too. I, we said, we, I think we all said it at the start of the year when we were previewing this team that they're going to be a train wreck. They didn't know who they were. They don't have enough of anything to be competitive, even to be a playoff team, in my opinion. So what are you doing? There's, of course, there's that, there's the difficulty of managing the Sedin situation. How do you, how do you start a rebuild when you have twins who, who eat up a huge chunk of your cap and you have to move them together? It's, it's a, a unique problem, the Canucks. But, you know, as we were talking about this, uh, I think it was last week, actually. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's something that they should have started a couple of years ago, a few years ago, when they went out and guys like, got guys like Bravada and Ryan Miller, maybe that's when they should have started the rebuild with those guys still in the fold, with the Sedin still there, and you could have injected more of that youth. And instead of these stop gaps every summer, adding a couple of veterans who aren't going to get you to the level of being a playoff team. So, what exactly are they accomplishing? Yeah, and I know we've gone into this before, but uh, it's. When you're in the, a market like that and you have a hungry fan base, that team's never won the Stanley Cup. They were close a few years ago. They were about as close as you can get without winning it. It's tough to accept that you are one of the worst teams in the NHL. But that happens. I mean, that really, over time, that's going to happen to every team except Detroit. Like, you're going <laughs> to be near the bottom. Where's Jamie? 
I'm surprised he didn't hear that somehow, even without a headset on. Um, it's like the bat symbol. If you throw up something about Detroit making the playoffs for 26 consecutive years, Jamie just appears. It's, I, I'm sure it is, is difficult, but I, I'm seeing headlines right now that Jim Benning isn't ready to trade away uh, assets and, and start planning for the future. And, and Willie Desjardins is, is safe still, yeah. which I don't get at all. It's, I, I mean, don't get it all. I don't, I don't see much of anything coming from behind the bench up there. I really don't. I don't get it. He doesn't have a ton to I mean, work we, with. There's a player, yeah, he, well, yes, but it, you look at some of the things that he's dealt with in the past. I know this is, this is a just Coyote-centric example, but look at their usage for Redeem Verbata when he was there in the second year. He's coming off a 31-goal season, and then you're playing him with guys that can't even win face-offs. Wow. To get, you know, a guy that's winning like 37% of his face-offs, so okay, how's that going to go? That one makes even less sense because that's taking a stopgap and like throwing it at the wall or something. You're not using it to actually stop the flooding. So... We don't need to keep talking about Vancouver other than to say we're going to probably be right on this one, and in, I could see us having the same conversation a year from now if they don't sort of awaken to it. And also, I do feel sort of bad for them that... that it's a great hockey city. Well, yeah, it's a great hockey, hockey city. city. It's a beautiful city. Mm-hmm. And the one narrative that does follow them around other than the trade your assets away while you still can is you need to bottom out. They did bottom out last year, and they didn't get line A, and they really should have. So... Try I mean, again. Yeah, yeah. I guess. There's, Keep trying. I don't think there's a line A in this year's draft. No, that's that's the problem. Flipping uh, to Edmonton and Pittsburgh. So the team that's on the rise and the team that's the defending cup champs, we finally, for the first time, I believe ever, saw a McDavid-Crosby matchup because they didn't play in the World Cup against each other. And Connor Sheary decided the game. So there you go. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> You going somewhere with this? Well, I, I don't know if I, if I talked to you about this last week or not, but the narrative was out there from people that I respect within this industry that McDavid's already the best player in the NHL. And not that there's a debate that you can have that McDavid just is the best player. At what point do the ridiculous expectations for Connor McDavid have a negative effect on him, or do they? Because I am I, absolutely on board that 10 years from now when we're doing this podcast and we're doing episode 558 – McDavid will be the best player in the NHL, and he will get there before that, I'm sure. But Sidney Crosby led the league in goals prior to last night, playing half as many games. Right, he's, he's on a tear since he came back. So plays defense. Yeah, he's a two-way player. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Okay, it's ridiculous. Alex, just go ahead and say it. Alex Ovechkin scores 50 Connor, goals a well, year. I mean, Connor, centers touch so many more parts of the game, so I could see that argument at least. Um, and. Alex Ovechkin has never been known as a great defensive player, although he's improved dramatically in that in that respect. But you, you, you just can't make that statement at this point. Connor McDavid, I have no doubt, will be that guy. Yes. And I don't I don't think the pressure is going to matter for this guy. You know, maybe if he had had to step into Austin Matthews' situation, going to Toronto in your first year and being the savior, uh, which I don't, you know, I, I think that the pressure for Connor McDavid would have been even greater in Toronto than it was for Austin Matthews because. He's oh, yeah. Canadian yeah. too, and and he, he really is seen as the generational player of his time. So I don't know what would have happened. It might have been more difficult, but playing in the market that he is, it, and right now the way he's playing, it, it, he doesn't seem like he's a flappable guy. He just oh. he seems to embrace it. So I, I don't think that's going to impact his career at all. But he, yeah, he still has a little ways to go before he can say he's the best player in the game. Well, and he doesn't. But it's just it, it is. It says something about. 
journalism. I know I'm going down a Craig Morgan path here when um, the guy has played, what, 50 NHL games now, and it's not good enough to just enjoy the fact that he's got blazing speed and he's well on his way to being one of the best, I think probably of all time, assuming he plays out his whole career and everything. No, we have to just declare him the best right now. Anoint him. Yeah. yeah. And the timing is so weird because if you were going to do that two years ago with Crosby and say, look, Crosby can't even get it done in the playoffs just that one year. He just won the Stanley Cup last year, and he looks better this year. And I don't even think it's just a Crosby-McDavid thing. I think Ovechkin needs to be in that conversation. And I think the simple fact that we haven't seen McDavid in a playoff situation against a great team that's focusing all their efforts on him. Yeah, that's it. That's that's really it. It's the resume. It's not there yet. Just the body of evidence develop. is not there yet. But again, I don't think it's going to impact him. This is just, you know, idle talk by journalists or fans. You know, it's... It is what it is. It's just part of this industry that that sort of stuff is going to be out there. I'm not sure it has much of an impact on the player himself, though. I think he will continue to develop. I don't think he's going to be impacted by any of this peripheral stuff. Good. And you're right. He does seem to have that personality. You know, he, he faced Matthews last week, and his, his comment, I'm paraphrasing, was, I know it would be easier for you guys if I just came in here and told you I hate Austin Matthews, <laughs> but I don't. He's a good kid. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it, Connor McDavid is tough to, to not like, and there's no reason to not like him. I just I wish we could enjoy the ride with him instead of saying, well, you're 19, you're the best ever now, right? Like, do it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still, I'm still thinking about that quote. Okay. Friendly rivals. <laughs> Imagining the music. Yes, something, something soothing. People, let me tell you about my best friend. Sung by Craig Morgan. You <laughs> sing a lot on this podcast. You're aware I'm of that, probably right? Probably too much. Or once, not once enough. Once is enough. Oh, we'll see. We talked a lot last year about how there were seven Canadian teams that didn't make the playoffs. I don't, are they all going to make it this year? What's going on? <laughs> it is crazy. Well, no, we just no, talked about Vancouver, the one that's not going yeah. to. <laughs> but, I mean, it would. there could easily be four that make the playoffs. I think Mon- Montreal's on a tear. Edmonton is vastly improved. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I still don't know how that one's going to shake out in that division. That division is so weird right now. I, I, I don't think it's settled into what it's going to be yet. It's definitely the weirdest division in hockey this year yeah. because there's so many different styles. There are teams in that division that look like they're playing a different sport from each other, and you can't say that about any other division, but I do think Edmonton's a playoff team at this but, point. Well, what about those other teams? I mean, like Winnipeg, is, uh, is that a playoff team? Is Calgary a playoff team? They're having a lot of problems. Uh, is Toronto a playoff team? Probably not. No. So. I think Winnipeg or Calgary will make it, and I think Edmonton and Montreal, I think three will make it. Okay. I think Montreal is... Pretty much a lock, assuming Carey Price is healthy. That 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 my opinion on them hasn't changed. Who else you got in? Montreal. I think Edmonton will get in. What about Ottawa? Yeah, your day. Yeah. I I don't. If I it's if I was how I pushed, feel about Ottawa right there. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know if you could Just, if you could. I don't know. But get like an artist rendition hey, of that feeling. That hey, could be their logo. It's really it's the facial expression which people are missing. Yeah, right I think you can piece it together based on the. <laughs> It's basically the same facial expression as that senator on the front of their alternate jersey from a couple of years ago, remember? That's Oh, we're straying too close to politics okay. again. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. You're right. Let's move on. Back to, uh, back to Canadian hockey teams. They're going to make the playoffs. I, I think Winnipeg is – I think I was probably <clears> – <throat> me, a year off from getting emotional about the Jets. I thought it was the uh, Canadian immigration site crashing that. That did happen last upset, night. Yes. Well, it's just a lot of hockey fans. You got in too late. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was packed. There are back rows, you know. Any sport that loves hockey, I'm, I'm a big fan. But um, anyway, transitioning away from, from the Jets and, and looking at the situation that played out between two more Canadian teams this past week with Nazem Kadri and uh, now becoming the most, what is he, public enemy number one in Toronto right, or in Vancouver right now? Yeah. I, I, well, first, I'll ask you first, what did you think of the hit? I mean, both from 
a rule standpoint and from a logic standpoint? Maybe those go together for you. I don't know. Uh, they don't necessarily in this case. I thought it was, I think, by the, by the very definition of the rule. This is great. I think I can say this statement in such a way where people in Toronto and Vancouver get mad at me. Let me see if I can pull this off. Mm-hmm. By the definition of the rule, I can see why he wasn't suspended. Common sense needs to come into play at some point, though, too, whether that means rewriting the rule or whatever. That's, I understand why Canucks fans are upset about that. That was unnecessary. That yeah, I think you know where I stand on this. I, just, I, I want to err aggressively on the side of caution when it comes to headshots. Aggressive honestly. caution. And I know, I know, it, I know it's difficult. It's, it's a fast game. Guy lowers his head. There's, there, there's all kinds of factors that play into this. But, again, I, this is too important. It's too important to the long-term health of human beings. You need to, you need to go way overboard in protecting this part of the game. And that's where I stand. I know a lot of people won't agree with me. They'll call it the wussification of the sport, but that, yeah, that's, the, that's their opinion. We know there are a lot of opinions in America that differ. And you, you will call it aggressive cautiousness. <laughs> yes, which would be a great name aggressive for a podcast. Caution, yes, <laughs> it's like an, it. makes for an odd road sign. I just, you know, it's one of those situations where I, I get the argument in the moment of, look, well, I don't think the principal point of contact was his head. He hits his shoulder before he just bashes his head into the ice. Did they remove that from the rule principal point? Did they remove that rule or tweak it because there was too much confusion? Yeah. So, okay. But yeah. however you want to word it, I mean, that was the debate that was going on when that when that hit happens. And, and I get that in the moment, and you're trying to fit it within the rules. And I get why, if you, I mean, you have to adhere to the rules that are currently out there. But I think when you take a step back, you're like, yeah, but we don't want headshots in the game, and that's a headshot. I mean, maybe it's not a headshot as we've currently defined it, but if that's the case, then maybe we need to define it differently. And unfortunately for Sadin, he's just kind of the guy that takes the hit that maybe alters the rule for the better down the line. But, you know, I, I get why Canucks fans were very upset about that. They had every right to be, and yet he wasn't suspended, and yeah. I kind of understand that too based on the rule, which means something needs to change because that hit doesn't need to be in the game. Yeah. And, and, and there's always going to be some subjectivity to it, right, no yeah. matter what you do, unless you just say, you know, any shot to the head yeah. is a penalty uh, or even a suspension or something in between. But I, I'm almost at the point, and, and this, is, this, is, this is a gray area that in some maybe somewhat of a dangerous area to say this, but it, it's almost like... I know a, I know a, a bad hit when I see it. I just I yeah. just know it, you know, and I can define it. And I saw it there. I, that was a bad hit, and I've seen so many in the past that haven't been been punished, that were so similar to one another. By the way, so <laughs> I, I think sometimes they're splitting hairs. So let's let's just stop splitting hairs and let's protect guys. Yeah, I, you know, I look at the NFL. I'm a big fan of of football, mm-hmm. but the NFL has gotten to the point where. Nobody knows what a catch is anymore. The players, the coaches, the officials, the fans, the broadcasters. I don't want to get to that point with headshots in the NHL because as ridiculous as it seems and you're watching an NFL game and you see a great catch and then it's ruled not a catch by some elaborate wording of the rule, that's not nearly as important as protecting not just your star players in this case. Daniel Sedin is still a star as far as I'm concerned in this league. He's certainly Vancouver's star. Um, but just any of your players. You don't, you don't want to lose guys like that on the ice, so... No, I mean, they'll work on it. I'm, I'm sure the rage has subsided a little bit in Vancouver for now, but they play again yes, exactly. December 3rd, so uh, stay tuned for that one. The team Vancouver beat last night, Tuesday night. We're recording this on a Wednesday. But the New York Rangers, I think, are a team that's worth us kind of getting into here, Craig, 
and I just realized we're not going to do a division this week, are we, in terms of uh, what each team in the division needs to improve? We'll do that next week. That sounds fine to me. Okay. That's good. We were supposed <laughs> to do Swedish things today, too, and yeah. we're not going to have that, so we should let our we're, listeners know that. Uh, we'll push that back one week. Yeah, we're still compiling clips. We're still compiling. I don't What are we compiling? I don't know. We got a good clip today, but we I'm not sure going to give anything yeah, away. Let's, yeah, let's just leave that for the intro. We are going to talk to uh, Peter Axman of Barn Magazine later on at the show, the end of the podcast. He's going to give us some insight on a... Uh, on, I think, a pretty interesting new publication he's trying to put together for, for hockey fans and, and artists and just a lot of different communities, I think, will be interested in this one. So stay tuned for an interview with, with him at the end of the show. But back to the Rangers, that's a team that we talked about in the offseason as not in the same situation as Vancouver in terms of not having talent. They obviously have a lot of talent. They make the playoffs every year. But how about trying to figure out where – where you're going with that talent. Are the Rangers a team that's just kind of leveled out in the playoffs, or what's the deal? And what's they've, the deal with that? What's the deal with the Rangers? But they've, uh, yeah. they've figured out a way to sort of to get younger here. Maybe they're overachieving right now, but all of a sudden, J.T. Miller, Mika Zibanejad, Jimmy Vesey obviously helps. You've got a lot of younger, cheaper players up front that are leading yeah. that team in production. Yeah, and that you're rolling four lines that are pretty effective right now. Yeah. Um, so... Everything looks good right now. They, they needed to get younger. They needed this infusion of youth. And right now, it looks like, wow, they, they really nailed this. But again, words of caution. That they, first of all, they played a ton of home games. I, I think they may have played more home games than anybody in the league. I'm probably speaking out of turn on that. But they, they played an inordinate amount of their games at home, which is really helping because I think they've been basically a 500 team on the road. Is that correct? Yeah, they're 8-2 they're and two at home, just 2-2 two and two on the road. That, that is more home games so, than anybody so that's, else. So that's a huge advantage. Except for them. the Islanders. That's a huge advantage for them right there. Um, and then, I mean, you look at some of these young players, you, you wonder about, I, th- I think as of Sunday, I think they had the highest PDO in the NHL. So they're getting a lot of puck luck right now. And they're getting contributions for, from guys that, you know, the young guy, you mentioned Jimmy Vesey. Is, is he gonna keep this up? Is he gonna hit a rookie wall? Or are there gonna be some lulls? I would expect that to happen for him. If it doesn't, wow, he, he's better than I think anybody expected. Yeah. And then a guy like Michael Grabner, is, is that gonna keep up? Yeah, it's it's not. It's, I mean, he's he he had a good season. God, was it 2010-11 was his last high-scoring season? But he has not been a terribly productive or healthy player for the last several years. And this this sort of feels like an anomaly to me too. Now, maybe because they're rolling four lines, other guys will pick up the slack and they'll find a way, and we'll all say, "Wow, what a what a job the Rangers did of retooling this thing on the fly." But again, words of caution. Let's let's tap the brakes. Give it given the the uh, things that we're seeing right now. Tap the brakes a little bit on that start right now. Career high in points is 52 back in the 2010-11 season. He also had 34 goals that year, which I think is probably the bigger deal of those two stats. Uh, right now he's on pace for a, pretty close to 70 points and right around th- about 38, 39 goals. So I, I think when you look at the Rangers... Were nine last season? Yes. Okay. And nine assists, though. Don't forget that. <laughs> okay. So 18 points. Okay. In 80 games, right? Yep. Okay. It's... Kind of alarming to me that you have Michael Grabner's stats memorized, and it makes me want to ask questions, but I'm not sure I want to know the answer, <laughs> so I'm not going to. The um, bigger picture with the Rangers, I think, is what they have going for them is it's, yes, VC has six goals, and Kevin Hayes has six goals, seven assists, and JT Miller's off to a great start, and Chris Kreider, and Zibanejad, and Grabner. Some of them are going to drop off. Are they all going to drop off, though? I mean, that's the thing. So I think they're yeah, going to still be depth a pretty of good scoring. Team. Yeah, they could be. They could be. They, and again, they have to go out on the road here, too. And they're, they're going to hit a, a, a lengthy road trip where they have to prove it as well. But 
And the flip side would be Derek Stepan has one goal, and they're still winning so all these games. So he's got to pick it up. See, yeah. that, that's the, that's the uh, other side of the coin. Right? People say, he's, yeah, he's got to pick it up at yeah. some point. So. Yeah, well, if, you, if you're a team in the Metropolitan Division and you're not the Capitals, the Penguins, or the Rangers, are you just playing for the wild card already? Absolutely. I mean, I, I know that's sort of simplistic and maybe it sounds like an over-exaggeration um, yes. or jumping the gun, but yeah, right? That's my answer, yes. <laughs> New Jersey's having nothing a, more a to add. Year, but yeah, it's obvious, yeah. Those, those three teams are so far ahead of the rest of the division, it's just silly. I don't know what else you can do. But, I mean, you can still get in the wild card. And, and then play one of those three teams. Or, you know, if you beat one, play two of them. Well, maybe. Maybe you're that, that, you, yeah. that wild card that gets Montreal in the first round. And you can get... Or, yeah. yeah it's, see how that one shakes out. Tough spot if you're not the Penguins, Rangers, or Capitals uh, in that division. Montreal, are we going to go down this path? Wait, let me see how I can make the seamless segue. Also in that division, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are doing much better than they did a year ago, partially because of a 10-0 win over the Canadians in Al Montoya last week. Yeah, Montreal's goals against jumped almost almost a full goal after that game, by the way. They're, they were still league best after it, but it went from like 1.3 to two point, almost 2.1. In, in one game because they gave up 10 goals. Uh, and Al Montoya actually gave up all 10 of those goals for some unknown reason. That was strange because Carey Price sure didn't look hurt to me, and he's played since then. So well, the, the, the narrative was they wanted to give him a day off. Okay, I get that. It's important. But, you know, I talked to Corey Hirsch about this, uh, a guy that lives locally here but does analysis for several networks. Uh, he had some good tweets. He's had some good tweets yeah, on a variety he, of topics he, in the last week. He tamed it down a little bit. For me, for the, for the actual quotes in the story, yeah, we removed the obscenities. But seriously, it's early in the season. It's not like you're battling, as he said, you're not clawing for your playoff life. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it's that was great. your first the regulation. The initial loss. idea is to give Carey Price a day off, but then when Al Montoya gives up goal number seven, you might revise that plan so that you're not just burying your backup goalie. And essentially, as as Corey said. Saying you, we don't care at all about you. It's all about Carey Price. We we really don't don't care at all what happens to you. Yeah, and and here's the thing: Carey Price missed the first few games this season because he was he was sick. He was and working his way back from injury. Al Montoya uh, didn't miss a beat in those first few games this season. And Carey Price came back game four. Al Montoya stepped Thanks in against help. the Islanders. Yeah, and uh, here's your ten goal reward. Basically, yeah. I mean, that game was so strange because at the time, the Canadians were 9-0-1. They didn't have a regulation loss. They had given up 14 total goals in those those 10 games. One of them wasn't even a goal. It was a 3-2 shootout win, so you get credited with a team goal, essentially, for winning the shootout. They gave up 10 in one game. Against Columbus, by the way. <laughs> yes, yes. That's, that's a really good variable there. <laughs> Let's not leave that part out. Yes, exactly. You, you have to include that. It was Columbus. Okay, so it's, it's like insult to injury. I'm a journalist. At least I like to think of myself as, as a journalist. Maybe some of you do not. You do wear those That's shirts fine. that just say journalist across the front. <laughs> yes, not the, not the ones that were on the uh, Trump campaign. Wrote, yeah, I never no, you didn't. I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to see you wearing one of those. <laughs> I hope I never see one. I'll, I'll be running. But after that game, were you satisfied with the line of questioning from the local media? Michelle Therrien basically said, yeah, it was a, it was a tough decision. It was a tough, it was a tough decision leaving him in there. Tough? What do you think it looked like from Al Montoya's perspective? I think he would have used other words. If, if he were speaking freely, yeah. I think he would have used other words than tough. That was, that was I, so strange. I mean, I, would have, so I, I probably weird. would have asked seven straight questions about that. You would have. Wait, I've, define I've, tough. What do you mean? Tough for you? Tough for the goalie? How do you think the goalie felt in that situation? <laughs> what, what? Do you, don't you think as a coach, it, I, I've, 
call me crazy, but I've heard a lot of coaches say that two of their greatest responsibilities are to put players in a position to succeed yeah. and to earn the trust of their players. Yep. Do you think Michelle Therrien accomplished either one of those goals in that game? How am I funny? Am I like a clown? Do I make you laugh? Because <laughs> that's what Do you... I amuse you? <laughs> That's what your original line of questioning sounded like. Uh, it's No, I don't think he was pressed on that enough, which is kind of surprising considering the market that he's in. And again, Montreal is in a very good spot. What could, what could derail this Montreal team? A Carey Price injury. How do we know that? Because it just happened last year. Right. So is the hope then, nothing against Mike Condon, but he wasn't nearly as battle-tested as Al Montoya is. Al Montoya has been in this league for years and years. Maybe if something happens to Carey Price, and it's not for the whole year, but maybe he misses three weeks, Al Montoya can step in, get us through those three weeks, get us some wins, and we'll be fine. Or we could just obliterate his confidence for no real reason and open— In one night. In one night, and open a very slim door. against the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> Sounds like an intro to a movie trailer. Montreal had given up 14 goals all year. They gave up 10 in one game. I don't know how else to put it. Sergei Bobrovsky stopped 30 shots in that game, got a, a shutout. Al Montoya stopped 30 shots in that game and permanently destroyed his goals against average for his career. Yeah, you're right. He'll be digging out of that the entire season now. Especially like as a backup, seasons. right? Because he's just not going to get enough time. I don't even... His I'll, numbers I'll were fantastic. Yeah, what are his numbers now? I, I wish I knew what they were before and after. I, I didn't look at that, but uh, he, he, obviously he played well. He carried them early in the season. You didn't know to look at Al Montoya's numbers just randomly yeah. before yeah, that just, game? Just no, I don't have those memorized. I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. Well, this this is how good he was before that. His goals against average right now is still just 3.15, which is like better than Peter Mrazek. So. <laughs> I mean, that's something that he can hang his hat on. It's It was weird. It was strange. The Canadians are, are winning again since then. I just, I do think there is something to the fact that when you have these sort of long-term aspirations that the Canadians have this season, let's make sure everybody feels right about things. Let's not open any little potential door that maybe could come back to bite us down the line. I don't think Al Montoya is going to go out there and purposely play bad. He's he's a pretty mentally strong goalie, so I think he'll be fine. But why... You know, why put him in a position where the next time he gives up a goal or two, he's like, yeah, I kind of feel like an outsider on this team anyway, and I've got to prove everything every time I try and make a stop. That's the thing. I don't know if there are going to be any long-term ramifications of this at all. There may not be, but you just don't do that as a coach, ever. Just black and white. You just don't do that to a guy. The argument, I guess, is that they played again the next night and they want to carry Price healthy. That's what I'm saying. So what? Yeah. Again, we're, we're in November. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you hadn't lost a game of regulation yet, so you could afford one and then maybe a, yeah, I don't know, you got to look big picture. We'll see. Yeah. You think Montreal hangs around, though, this year? They're way in first in that division ahead of both Tampa and this, Detroit. This hot start in the Eastern Conference is really going to help in yeah. that regard. I mean, you, you get off to this kind of start. It's really, uh, although we, we saw them do it, right? We saw them collapse after a great start before. We did, but, but they lost their best yeah, player. Yeah, they lost Carey Price. If he stays healthy, yeah, this is probably going to be enough to push them in wherever they finish in that division. We uh, Before we get to this interview, I'm going to throw a couple teams at you. and just You can word association. You can just riff. You can say whatever you want, okay? Oh I'm just going to go through a couple of the division leaders and the, the, the bottom feeders right now. Montreal, we already touched on. The Rangers, we already touched on. Uh, Pittsburgh is another division leader. They look pretty good right now. 
pretty happy with the way they're rolling at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, everybody everybody back, right? Essentially, everybody back. Yeah. So, it, it, they're, yeah, they haven't missed a beat from last year. They keep falling. Do I only get one word on this? No, you can say as much as you want. Okay. I'm just, okay. I'm I'm just making sure of the rules. No. Just okay. checking here. Uh, we touched on Edmonton, and then the other division leader, and I know you're going to have more than one word on them. Chicago Blackhawks seem to be doing okay despite having a weak power play to start oh, the season. Oh, PK is on fire now. Or, yeah, weak penalty kill. I'm PK sorry. is on fire now. I, here, here's the thing that is impressing me the most about the Blackhawks. Um, yeah, there are a lot of things that are going going pretty well for them. Corey Crawford's been fantastic, first of all. Can yes. you say that? Five on five. He's been so money. And early in games, when they've just been under siege in the first period because they never seem to come out to play, he keeps them in games. He's been spectacular. So that's one thing to look at with the Blackhawks. Their PK is, is getting back to where it should be. You know, it's We knew it was going to be historically bad like that all season, and they've been playing much better on the penalty kill. We'll see where the young players go, but that second line right now, they've been able to move Patrick Kane up with Jonathan Taves, as they call it in Chicago, the nuclear option. Marion Hossa has jumped back into that second line. He's scoring like crazy. He looks terrific again playing with Arvin Isimov and Artemi Panarin, and suddenly that second line is, yeah, we're just fine. We're good. We we moved Patrick Kane off it, and it's still an incredibly productive line with Artem Anisimov at the top of the NHL points. Don't they have to get another guy named Artem or Artemi or... I still think they need a left wing on Taves and Kane's line. But 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 if those two are playing together, you know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you just maybe need maybe a guy. You just, hey, you just stand in front, okay? We'll, yeah. we'll bank a few off. You skate you and can, uh, yes. just, just pick up some Just be where pucks. you're supposed to be. You'll score. Just get, get out of the way, basically. Panic. Yes. He had a hat trick already this year. No. It's crazy. I don't think it matters who plays on that line. It, doesn't, it sure are. doesn't seem to. Uh, let me throw this last team at you because they, they were they were not in town last night, but they played the Coyotes last night, and they were a team that started off very well and actually right now have the worst record in hockey, technically, the Colorado Avalanche. <laughs> that is a team that is really difficult to, to wrap your head around because some nights they have that speed and they just they look like they have it all together and – Looks like, oh, this is, I understand why this team won the Central Division a couple years ago and came from out of nowhere because Nathan McKinnon, remember, was a number one overall pick and he was great in the World Cup of Hockey this, uh, this September. He just picked up a second goal last night and they are losing a lot of hockey games right now. Yeah, they are. And, I, you know, I think part of, part of what we're seeing is a transition with a new coach and they're trying to play a little bit style of, different style of hockey than they did under Patrick Waugh. So maybe that's part of it, but they're still... They're just not a great possession team, right? No. It's, it, that's, that's a problem, and there's there's a lot of skill there. So in some ways, it's it's troubling, it's perplexing. You can't figure it out. I still don't think their blue line's very good, and that that's a big part of it. You know, they've got got some pieces back there, but they don't, I don't think they have enough. But it, yeah, I, I don't think they should be this bad. So maybe maybe we're seeing some transition, or maybe it, maybe Patrick Wall wasn't the problem after. Oh, oh, oh what's yeah. going on here? Uh, they started the year 3-1 and one with wins over Dallas, Pittsburgh, and Tampa. The one loss was to Washington. Dallas is struggling. They right? are. Since then, Colorado... Of half their lineup out, but... That's true. What's left of Dallas is struggling. Since then, Colorado's 2-6. and six. They've scored more than two goals in the game once, and it was three. See, that's crazy to me. That's the part that doesn't add that's up. Crazy. It hasn't that can't been last, right? It's, it's got to be an anomaly. Well, you I'd start losing 5-4 again anytime soon. It was... <laughs> yeah, raise your game. Lose by higher scores. Uh, it, it just kind of gets to the, the last point I was going to make to you. Look at the teams that are trailing all their divisions right now. Buffalo, Carolina, Colorado, and Arizona technically is in the Pacific right now, although we think that'll be Vancouver. And Vancouver's one point ahead, and they've played two more games. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Vancouver's one point ahead. Calgary's also one point ahead, and they've played two more games. Of all those teams at the bottom of their divisions, 
I'm kind of most worried for Colorado because of the division they're in. I think they'll play better, but I don't know if that's going to translate into a whole lot of uh, points in the standings because the only teams in the Central that are near them right now are Dallas and Nashville, and I have to think those two teams are going to get something corrected here at some point. And that's the thing. You may, and I agree with you that, yeah, if you fall behind in that division with with, the, with how top-heavy it should be, yeah, you're, you're in trouble. Um, but we, you were talking about Winnipeg earlier and how they need to get Truba into the mix because you can't fall behind in that division. It, it, it is interesting that two of the three or two of the four teams in that division that people expected to be right at the top are really struggling. Now, Dallas has had significant injuries, so that's that's really factoring into it. But, again, there's still questions about their goaltending and that blue line that will persist until they put together a run with their, their healthy lineup. Nashville? Uh, Nashville's got their players. Yeah, what's going on there? That's it's, it's all PK. He's the problem. Yeah, he's the problem. They're vindicated. I can tell you, I, I did write something about them late last week on uh, today's Slapshot. And if you look at their top line, and I know you and I were looking at their top line when they were in town last week as sort of a, hey, here's three guys that David Poyle stole from Eastern Conference teams. Loaded talent with uh, Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg and James Neal. James Neal's picked it up a little bit lately, but by by late last week, that trio had combined for two goals. Yeah, that's that, insane. That line needs to score. Absolutely. They, got, they have to be the offense. And right now, James Neal has three goals, but Johansson and Forsberg have combined for one goal. That, that won't work. Yeah. You wonder, you know, if, if you're facing too much focus from opponents, do they think about splitting those guys up at some point? Maybe. To try and balance it out. Because even just to get them going, maybe maybe you need to inject something else to get those guys going. Because, yeah, you've got to have those guys at the top of your score sheet. But, I mean, in that division, again, I know we keep saying this, but in the central division, it's, okay, yeah, figure it out now because you don't have a couple weeks to figure Chicago it out. Chicago and St. Louis are, are both – I mean, St. Louis had went, went through a little lull, but they're right up there again. I think the Blackhawks have won six straight going into a game with the Blues tonight. Yeah. So, and, uh, and, the, and the, to be honest, the Blackhawks have not even played that well oh, yet. They so haven't. if they put something together here, I mean, one or two of these teams could just run away and hide with this division. If you're Dallas and or Nashville, you need to be hoping that both wild cards come out of the Central at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, anytime, you, anytime you're looking at a deficit, now it's, it's really early, so I wouldn't say this quite yet, but... Anytime you're looking at a deficit of like 10 points in the standings, that's really significant in a good well, division yeah. where teams are going to win more than they're going to lose. Yeah. I mean, Dallas and Nashville both eight points behind Chicago for first. Now, if, you're, if your bigger picture is let's just get in the playoffs and do some damage when we get there, that's fine. You're, you know, Chicago has 19, St. Louis has 16, Minnesota and Winnipeg both have 13. But the team that would concern me most if I'm Nashville or Dallas is Winnipeg because that wasn't necessarily supposed to be a playoff team this year. And if Winnipeg gets in, I th- – I'm pretty confident Chicago, St. Louis, and Minnesota all make the playoffs you this like year. The, you like the Wild, okay. I, I like them to get in the playoffs because that's what Bruce Boudreaux does. Sure. I mean, I would be the least confident of them of those three, obviously. But let's just assume those three hold up. If Winnipeg gets in, at least Nashville or Dallas doesn't. This is simple math. And that would have been crazy to say before the start of the year. And it is very early, and that's fine. And I understand Dallas doesn't have their players, but they are still picking up these losses that their players are going to have to be – saddled with when they come back so we'll see anything else before we get to uh, peter here talk a little barn magazine no you mean like what happened no never no no nah, i can't go there <laughs> just specifically great there's just, a lot of i'll just cry softly there's a lot of subtext with craig today but craig's here he's a trooper to bring you episode 58 and uh, now we are going to talk to peter axman uh, uh to get his thoughts on a project he's starting up for the the hockey fans out there called Barn Magazine.
All right, we're joined now by Peter Axman of Barn Magazine, who's, uh, well, I, Peter, I guess I'll just let you explain this. This is kind of, it's, it's exciting because there's not a whole lot of hockey publications really out there that, that, are, that are starting up that are, are new. It's, it's mainly the traditional stuff. So can you kind of give us some, uh, some insight on your publication? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, so Barn Magazine is a quarterly print magazine that features uh, smart, thoughtful, innovative writing with creative bold, modern design. And, you know, we, it's, we're really different from everything that exists in a couple ways. First, uh, we're an oversized print magazine, and, you know, there's not that many out there. Um, you have the hockey news, and then you know, Sports Illustrated gets into hockey once every season, maybe. Uh, but we're, you know, totally dedicated to the game, and we cover everything from uh, beer league, pond hockey, to NHL, KHL. You know, anywhere if there's a good story with uh, good characters or uh, anything like that, we'll cover it. Uh, the other aspect of it is that we're a really visual magazine. Uh, I'm sure you saw the images on our Kickstarter page. Uh, we, we're really heavy into illustration and design uh, in, a, in a way that a lot of places aren't. Um, again, I go back to the hockey news. I don't mean to uh, hate on them. I like them. Um, but they're, you know, a very traditional magazine and um, we're much more visual, um, both in terms of the photography and the illustration. So, yeah, I think we offer something that's totally different and appeals to uh, a younger generation of fans that appreciates good writing um, and a visual uh, print product. Peter, can you give us an example maybe of, of something you're featuring in an upcoming issue and, and what form that takes? Yeah, sure. So our, our cover story is about uh, Alex Ovechkin. And I think it's a perfect barn story for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, the writer who wrote it is uh, Eric McRillane, formerly of Off-Wing Opinion. And he's covered Ovechkin from, well, he's covered the Caps before Ovechkin. And so he's seen his whole career. Uh, so he's, he does a really good job of putting perspective on Ovechkin's career and showing where he's been, where he's going, and how we should really consider what we have in the league in terms of having uh, Ovechkin being great all these years. And the other reason I think it's really great is that um, Ovechkin is one of the few real characters in the game. Uh, people love him or hate him, but he's got a personality and he, he brings fun to the game in a way that a lot of players don't. Uh, so that's something that we really want to celebrate. You know, so many other sports have done an amazing job at uh, creating the hero and villain narrative and developing the characters in the game, whereas in hockey there's just, you know, for years it's just been a lot of, uh, you know, players that are kind of bland, kind of boring. And uh, I think something that will help get more people excited about the game is if they can understand who these players are and uh, be able to grasp onto them in a way that's different than just knowing their uh, Corsi or their Fenwick. Peter, uh, give me the history on this. What, what sparked your interest in doing something like this, and, and what's your history with the game? Uh, so my history with the game is that I was extremely average, uh, some might say below average, stay-at-home defenseman uh, growing up in Boston. Um, so I played all through my, my uh, youth in high school. And then um, I've now lived in enemy territory in New York for about a decade, and I fell off the game for... Um, about four or five years around the the uh, the first lockout, or I guess the one in the, the 2000s. And then about uh, six or seven years ago, I started 
to play again. I play in uh, pickup ice games in New York as well as a regular ball hockey game and occasionally uh, a pickup roller hockey game. And then it reignited my love of the game. And so I merged that with um, my love of writing, uh, design, and illustration. Um, so there was a hole in there's a hole in the market of the type of coverage for hockey. So uh, I've worked professionally in communications and media for about 10 years. And in a, I don't know how much you get to see, but in the past couple of years, there's been this resurgence of uh, niche uh, print magazines. And that kind of validated this concept that I've wanted to do for five, six, seven years. And so about two years ago, I really started pulling this thing together. And uh, the Kickstarter campaign is definitely the biggest step we've taken to getting out there because we're actually public now. And it's more than just uh, friends and families and people working on it that know about it. Uh, there's actually, you know, hockey fans around the two countries and around the world, actually. I've heard from people from different countries that have been interested in it. Um, so that's, that's kind of the background of it. And this is, you know, the Kickstarter is just exactly that. the kickstart to get this thing going. Uh, we plan to publish four times a year. And uh, we hope that people really like it. Yeah, uh, you know, you mentioned trying to kind of find that that niche market. How how difficult was that for you? Because I mean, certainly when you're when you're trying to create anything new now, I mean, there's so many different ways for just the average person to create a, a product and maybe do it for a couple months and then and then give up on it or whatever. But it almost floods the market. How, how difficult was that for you to to step in and find something that would be unique and catch people's attention? Uh, I, I think there's so many great. Uh, sites, the blogs, podcasts that cover the game, but you know, I did, there wasn't anything that's really print focused. And um, you know, we're a niche product, uh, and I say that meaning we're not trying to scale to a million readers. So, um, you know, a print product can survive in that type of environment if you're not trying to, you know, be sports illustrated. Um, and so, the, the best part about this has been finding people who have validated the concept and have been interested in it. And we've done that kind of two ways. I've, I've come across or I've worked with people that are hockey writers that I think do a really great job. Um, but I've also worked with um, one of my favorite stories in the magazine is from an energy reporter who's a massive Sharks fan. And he just brought a totally different perspective. Um, so it's been a process of finding those people who have, uh, whether they're like, had a tweet storm during their game and I just happened to retweet and went down a rabbit hole or um, finding them in different ways. Um, that's been actually one of the most enjoyable parts of it. And the other part of that is that, you know, I, I, I thought that there would be people that uh, are artistically focused that love hockey, but I haven't, I didn't realize, I wasn't uh, really sure just how many there were. Um, our cover artist, the same as Kyle Secker and, uh, he doesn't work in hockey, but he, he loves it. And um, once I – he had a throwaway line in a bio of a piece that he had somewhere that said um, he loved hockey. So I reached out to him, and um, his enthusiasm for the game and the project was amazing. But like I said, he hadn't ever drawn hockey. So um, it's, a com- it's been fun finding a combination of those types of people. So I have to ask, is, is this a full-time gig for you now, uh, you know, living in the incredibly inexpensive city of New York? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, no, it's not. It's uh, something that I've been doing on the side. Uh, but I guess I would say it's uh, my full-time gig. You know, launching something like this, um, it definitely takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and energy. And, um, you know, I've as I've gotten more into it, I, I'm realizing how much more it takes. So uh, it's been a lot of late nights and early mornings and uh, ducking out to do stuff on a lunch break or whatever um you know who knows what will happen down the line uh this is something that i would love to be doing full-time and um got a ways to go to get there so i don't know we'll see but for now it's uh definitely my second full-time job so which borough are you living in right now uh brooklyn okay so not quite as bad when you're walking around with your bruins jersey on as it would be you know if you're somewhere (laughs) in the vicinity of uh, msg yeah, people are pretty apathetic. I'm actually standing <laughs> two, blo- two blocks from MSG right now. Um, I don't think people know what the Islanders are. In <laughs> and and my, my, my line about living in enemy territory, uh, it doesn't apply as much. When I talk to hockey people, they're like, oh, you're in Montreal? Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm in New York, which is a little bit less enemy territory than it is for all of our other sports. Well, what's the feeling around Brooklyn just in terms of, of that of playing in Barclays now and how that was supposed to be such a, a great thing, and now just a year later it almost feels like it's a burden for that team. Is that something that's talked about there, or are people are just kind of accepting it at this point? Well, that question supposes that there is a feeling at all about the Islanders. <laughs> uh, um, listen, you know, I, 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 it's, 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 I, I'm in two different worlds. Obviously, I'm like very immersed in I follow the Islanders writers and the people who care about it, but in my day-to-day life, I don't think uh, people that are not in the world that you guys and I am in really realize that the island is here. It's a funny thing. When they came here, um, there wasn't any advertisements, or there's extremely minimal advertisements around the city. And I was here uh, when the Nets moved in. Um, I actually used to live two blocks away from Barclays, and I um, saw them build it uh, throughout the years. So was there when the Nets came in, and they were just everywhere, and like the campaign for for them was off the charts. Um, but there was just none of that for the Islanders. And you know, I'd, I'd heard from some people that they were taking a uh, let's wait and see what we have in our hands, and then we'll figure out what we want to do in the next couple of years. Uh, but I gotta say, in year two, it hasn't been all that different. Um, and to be fair, the new owners are coming in, so. Uh, or or they're, I think they're their first year fully transitioned in, um, so there's still you know there's time there's room but I don't know it's, it, this is actually one of my favorite stories I've been following because it's just such a it's, it's such a mess between like physically with the ice versus our well, pickup like, truck yeah the, I mean it's like playing I, I played in high school hockey rink that looked more professional than that. <laughs> yeah. uh, we were just uh, on a road trip there with the Coyotes, and it, it was amazing. You know, with because that arena is relatively new in, in terms of NHL arenas, when we <laughs> when we took the bus elevator down to the spinning platform because no one thought to put an actual ramp into the arena for the bus, uh, it was amazing, amazing how old that arena felt. It felt like it was a hundred years old, and it's one of the new arenas in the NHL. I've I've never been below um, concrete levels. I haven't seen that stuff, but I've definitely. I forgot about that spinning bus. That's amazing. That's uh, uh, either total incompetence 
or engineering ingenuity. <laughs> I, I, I'm split on that as well. You know, the, the most amazing thing about that elevator was the speed at which it moved. You could literally count the cracks as you were moving past them. It was descending so slowly. Wow. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you guys think? You, you guys are um, of the outside perspective since you're not here. Well, what's going on with them? Where do they end up? Do they go back to NASA? I don't, I don't know. I, I think a lot of stuff is on the table. I think that, that's still up in the air. But, yeah, I, I, I yeah. don't think that that is... I don't think that's a viable solution long term. Yeah, I, I, I was. We just, so we just had a uh, reading series on Monday night uh, in the city with a couple of our writers, and uh, one of our writers, Patrick Kern. Um, he's super passionate about this. He thinks that they're going to end up in Belmont out by uh, the raceway. It's kind of uh, I don't know how well you guys know the city, but it's uh, kind of on the border of Long Island and Queens, where it could technically still be in the city, but definitely dropped the Long Island side. Um, which is an interesting and feasible solution, but then you just do the whole, we're moving to Brooklyn thing, and then oh, we're kind of not. <laughs> just two years later or whatever. Uh, yeah. Okay, Peter, why don't you give us some, and the listeners some insight just in terms of, of how to either help out with the project or how to find out more about the project. I'm, I'm on the website right now, but maybe you could uh, you could pass it on to everybody that's listening. Yeah, that'd be great. So people can go to uh, bit.ly slash barnmag, uh, the capital B and a capital M, or it's probably easier just to go to barnmagazine.com and they can click off there. Uh, we're looking to raise $50,000, which will help us wrap up issue one and then set us up to continue with our first run, the first uh, volume, I guess. Uh, we have, uh, we're speaking on Wednesday and we have a week and a half left. Uh, so when people hear this, will be a few days later. Uh, but we definitely need some help getting there. The response has been pretty incredible. I've, I've heard, I mentioned earlier, I've heard from people, frankly, all over the world who have come out and have wanted to contribute or support or have done whatever they could to, have to spread the word. Um, so it, it's been really rewarding to see the concept validated. Uh, but we definitely need to build uh, community and get some more backers. Um, we did publish our cover story on thehockeywriters.com. I can, uh, uh, that's also linked to on our campaign page. Uh, so people can read that so they can get a sense of the type of stuff that we're doing um, and know that there's an actual product behind it. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, you know, we're about 85% uh, in terms of having the first issue wrapped. So we're looking to ship at the end of January. Um, we're just spend the next couple of months finishing it up, and hopefully people will have something uh, on their doorstep around All-Star Game Time. All right, Peter, well, listen, best of luck in this venture. Nice to have a, another voice in the game. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot, Peter. Good luck with all this. Love to, uh, love to right. hear the, uh, the passionate journalism at the, at the most basic level. I mean, that is, is that not it right there, Craig? He's, he's got a full-time job, but in his spare time, he's running out and trying to start this entire different uh, product and I'll tell you what, one thing he said that really stands out to me that I think we've even talked about on the show before. I know I've, I've ranted and raved on this. Hockey's got personalities in their players that they don't market necessarily as well as I think they could. Alex Ovechkin is a great player, and so people kind of touch on, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's a little bit different. But, uh, <laughs> but there are a lot of personalities within the sport that you and I and people that follow it closely or work around it closely – know about but just your typical sports fan flipping through the channels on a tuesday evening and he sees 
the Islanders and the Bruins on TV, but he doesn't know anything about any of the players. He's just going to go on to an NBA game, which nothing against the NBA. I think the NBA markets their product wonderfully, but a regular season NBA game to me is not nearly as entertaining as a regular season hockey game, but they know who the players are in the NBA. They don't necessarily know who each NHL player is. Yeah. And the NHL of course is fighting a little bit with the, the simple fact that NBA players don't wear helmets. So you see that there's more face time for these guys, but I agree with you. That's, to be honest, that's one of my favorite parts of covering this game. You know, there are, there are nights where the game itself rises to that, gee, gee, this is incredible yeah. level. It does do that sometimes. A lot of times it can be dull. There's a lot of minutia around the game that has to be covered as a reporter. But the human interest stories, the, the personalities of the game, that's one of my favorite things to to portray, to shed a light on in, in this game. And, it's again, it's nice to see that they're – there are other people out there that want to get into this yeah. business and do the same thing. It seems like there's a market for it. Now, let me ask you this, too, real quick before we wrap up the show. I have a lot of friends that don't follow hockey. They're just big into sports. They work in sports, and they kind of follow hockey. They follow the local team because it's local, and also they know I work there or whatever. But when I ask them just a question about the NHL in general, they will quickly rattle off five players that played hockey in 1999. <laughs> Was the game marketed that much more aggressively back then? Because almost everybody I work with that is a Arizona Cardinals fan or a Phoenix Suns fan can tell you who Steve Eiserman. It's not just Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux either. It's Steve Eiserman or I guess Yarmir Yager was a 10-year vet at that point too. But th- there's there's a collection of players from that time that they can tell you about, but most of them probably don't know who John Tavares is. Mm. It's very strange. I think that's a story you should explore. I think I will. All right, that's going to do it for us uh, this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening to episode 58 of the Natural Hattrick podcast for Jamie Eisner, wherever he is, for Craig Morgan. I'm Luke Lipinski. We'll talk to you next week. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.